Hi, I'm attorney Kevin Johnson. And I'm attorney Margie Nielsen. Welcome to another episode of Dynamite Divorce and Other Matters. This is episode 41. We're recording here in January of 2024, a new year. In our first episode of the year, we are happy to have with us a special guest. And it took quite a while to get through with the agent and the scheduling difficulties of getting him here. But we are happy to have Mr. Igor Bozik with us today. Hi, Igor. Hey, Kevin. Thank you, and thank you for having me today. So Igor comes to us because of his experience as an assistant state's attorney. For you around the country who have watched TV shows, you might you know, think it's called a DA, okay? But here it's called a state's attorney, the prosecutor, okay? And prosecutors in our court system here in Cook County and other counties operate in child support court, juvenile court, criminal court. Today, we're going to be talking to Igor about his experience on the battlefield of juvenile court. And before we go further, this podcast is no substitute for the specific legal advice you will get by consulting one-on-one with a licensed attorney in your state or country. We hope that before taking any action that might change your life or your financial situation, and before making decisions that might significantly affect your children and the people around you, you do find and meet with a licensed attorney. Now, now on, with, on the with the show. Okay, so yeah, juvenile court to be in my experience as an assistant state attorney, and I worked there as, as a prosecutor on criminal matters and then on juvenile matters, and it's, it's the scarier out of the two. So not only can you lose your child in a system, you can also lose any future child you may have or baby that is born if you fail in your current juvenile proceedings. It becomes the part of your state's record, and hospitals will have, will have this information. So every hospital has a social worker, as you may know. They will come, they will talk to you. They will also have your state record on neglect and abuse. So if they see that you did not complete your court proceeding in a juvenile courtroom on your past children, they will take your baby and put it in a shelter care. They will give that to the state attorney's office. And the state attorney's office will file what's called a petition or request from the court to take away the children or the child that is born temporarily until the situation is fixed or remedied. Okay, are you saying that a child you've never neglected or abused could be taken from you at first? Correct. If you fail, if you failed previous proceedings in juvenile court, the new child will be taken away immediately after the birth. Wow. What is your background? I uh, immigrated here back in 2001 with my family. I'm from ex-Yugoslavia or Serbia right now, what's a small country in Europe. So I am still adapting to USA. How many languages do you speak? I would say I speak two languages, but according to the internationally recognized languages, I would say about seven. I believe every single country that's separated from Yugoslavia has its own language recognized in the system. So I would speak Serbian, Croatian, Bosnian, Macedonian, Montenegrin, maybe now. Yeah, it gets ridiculous like that. So it's, it's essentially, as here would be, 10 different versions of Spanish. So I hold a bachelor's degree in law enforcement and 
Justice Justice Administration from 2010. After that, I went to law school. I finished law school in 2014, and immediately after I passed my bar exam, I joined the uh, state attorney's office here in Illinois. I'm not scary. I am a normal, average person. I go skiing. I go snowboarding. I enjoy playing in the snow with my kids, making a snowman. Right now, it's cold, so it's one of the perks of living in Chicago is that you get to build a lot of snowman. I and I I make mistakes just like anybody else in in personal and professional life. Now you were in a county which we won't name, but it wasn't Cook County. It's outside of Chicago, downstate, right? It is a larger county outside of Chicago or Cook County area. After I left the state attorney's office, I went into private practice, and then right now I'm currently just in corporate in-house attorney, corporate setting, corporate law, juvenile court, and juvenile law. It is for practitioners who who have a strong heart and who can swallow everyday sadness and depression, I would say. <laughs> Wait, you mean in your job as assistant state's attorney, it was not a fun job? Is that what you're saying? It was not a fun job. It was a responsible job. It was a job that you have to have, you have to be on your toes every single day. And a job that requires, how would I put it? Hey, there he is. Hey, Barry. So, hey, everybody. Hi there. So, Barry Boykin, I'd like you to meet my friend Igor Bozik. Igor, this is Barry. I'm hey, Barry. For, so, now, Igor, when I talked to you about being a guest on here, I thought you'd be pretty experienced at juvenile court. Are you experienced in juvenile court matters? I, I am. Uh, at any point at the state attorney's office, I had about, I would say about 100 cases at any given point. So you did several thousand cases in your times there? Several hundred, probably a thousand or so cases. Our listeners don't want to be in juvenile court, do they? No, nobody wants to be in juvenile court. <laughs> Let's say someone's listening to us today and they're wondering, is there some way that this system, this powerful system of juvenile court, could put its fingers into my life and take my kids, should they be worried about that? Yes, they should be. It's a, it's a scary place. You have to know that, that not only can you, you know, lose your current child to the system, you can lose any future child if you don't complete the services. And Can you give me an example of how someone could uh, get sucked into the juvenile court system? The focus is on neglectful or abusive behavior. So, for example, we had cases, and most, most of our cases, maybe 50% of cases, involve domestic violence, meaning there is yelling and screaming and constant bickering inside a house. And a lot of that will first surface with the schools or hospitals or doctors who are mandated reporters. So if your child in school says, well, I can't live in my house anymore. My father's boyfriend drinks all the, or my mother's boyfriend, whoever it is, drinks all the time. It could be a grandfather. It could be a cousin who drinks all the time at home and it's yelling and it's screaming. I'm sad. I don't want to, you know, I don't want my mom to, to look sad and cry all the time. And this child is spilling out all of this with the social worker at the school. And the social worker 
At that point, we'll call the DCFS. Tell me what that means, DCFS. Yes, the F- Department of Children and Family Services. And it's, right now, that's that's the name in the state of Illinois. I'm not sure if any other state has. Every state has an agency like that, right? That takes cases of abuse. There may be a hotline. And Illinois has a hotline that they call, right? Correct, correct. Anybody can hotline it. Neighbors can hotline it. That's a good point. That there is yelling, screaming constantly at home. and Or the police could be called because of an ongoing attack too, right? There could be somebody attacking someone else inside the house, and that could bring the police and then trigger DCFS too, right? Yes. Police can come there, and the police also have to report to the DCFS. At that point, DCFS will assess the situation. Most of the time, DCFS will put some kind of a program of similar to court supervision. Don't do it again. That's only if it's not serious. If it's serious, DCFS will make the report and they will send the report to the state attorney's office and they will recommend temporary custody of the child. Whoa, whoa, you're saying... Whatever activates DCFS, they take a look at, what, do they come knock on the door? They will come knock on the door. They can, if you don't cooperate, they will issue a warrant, body attachment, and then they will take the, take the child with them. And then once DCFS has a look at it, they decide whether to kick it up to a prosecutor. Is that right? Correct. They're sort of like the police when it comes to abuse and neglect. They will... <laughs> Yes, they will make the initial report. You have you will have an initial investigator involved. And they'll just say, "Hey, look, it's just parents. You know, discipline is discipline. It's okay. I mean, a certain degree of discipline is okay, right? Certain degree of discipline is okay, but if we're talking about corporal punishment or punishing a child with with, with hitting, if there's a lot of bruises on the child's body." DCFS, DCFS will probably recommend that the child is abused. Actually, Kevin, just to clarify then, in my early experience working in legal aid, I did have juvenile court cases where I represented a related caretaker. And occasionally a child would be placed with a grandparent, for example, and that grandparent's interest would be I would bring those interests to the court regarding the caretaker. Of course, the, and I'm sure Igor will tell us that the overall goal is uh, reuniting the family. But what services are needed to get this family back together? But I did have some juvenile court cases, and I have appealed some decisions made regarding a finding of abuse. And of course, there's the, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to get to the situation where there's an intersection between are family law cases, which I'm sure Margie has had a few, and where somebody has said, hey, this person, I'm di- this spouse I'm divorcing, they're abusive to the child. And I, I made a DCFS report out on my soon-to-be ex. So that's the that's the place where we, not uh, going to the juvenile court, but in our regular courtroom. And my experience there, of course, the judge would take a situation, well, let's see what the finding is from the DCFS worker, and then I'm going to make a decision after uh, we get the report back from DCFS. So to answer your first question, yes, 
the goal in the DCFS cases or in juvenile cases in a court is to reunite the family. That stems from the underlying bigger picture that what's in the best interest of the child. That's, that is the primary goal of the juvenile court, the best interest of the child. And it's going with the assumption that the best interest of the child is to reunite the family, if at all possible. So eventually, let's say that the parents and the child ends up in the system and they are <clears throat> the system they're adjudicated as neglected so if the child is adjudicated neglected the parents would be ordered to do a certain amount of services services meaning either parenting classes in the case of drug issues addiction classes no no drugs, no alcohol, while you're going through the DCFS services, family, reun family reunion cases if the child was away from the family for an extended period of time. And the parents have to complete, one or both parents have to complete all of these in order to get the child back. Okay, you've mentioned a couple of things that maybe the listeners would like to know can I get your examples from your experience of what is a neglectful parent? What does it take to be neglectful? Does that mean you don't have enough food in the fridge or there's black mold in the bathroom or there are rats running around? What is neglectful? Neglectful. So neglectful can be anything that's not in the best interest of the child. So neglectful, for instance, there is constant kicking and screaming in the house and yelling and throwing punches. Wait, is that different than abuse? Well, you're not hitting the abuse. With abuse, you're abusing the child. You're, you're hitting the child, slapping the child, not feeding the child. That's abuse. Be like boyfriend, girlfriend arguing in front of the child. That could be neglect. Correct. You're neglecting the child if you're allowing the child to be part of, a, part of abusive behavior with another person. So if the mother and the grandfather who are in the house are constantly fighting. There's alcohol involved. The child is not being fed because they're too drunk to feed the child. That is a neglectful behavior. And the child is neglected at that point. You taken, have you been part of taking children away for neglect? Yes, most of our cases were neglect cases. What were some of the things you saw where a parent lost their child? History of the domestic violence, for instance. You have a criminal record of domestic batteries, one or two or three domestic batteries previously, and your child is just born. They look at your and you, they look at your criminal record, and you did you did you were convicted, you failed probation. That is history of domestic violence, and child will be presumed neglected. History of drug use is another way to, that the child will be neglected. So if parents are constantly using alcohol in a house and police is constantly called to the house and it's discovered that the child says, well, yes, they used, I'm not, I'm not getting fed. They're just using the alcohol, right? You are being, the child is being neglected. Okay. So should a parent, like if you have teenagers and teenagers know how to complain, so they're not happy with their mom or dad. Okay. So they start complaining about they don't like it at home. 
They don't like the way their mom is treating them. When are they going to get the attention of DCFS? If one of our listeners is worried that their kids seem to complain a lot or are now cranky, and I mean, do they have to worry that a knock on the door and their kids are going to be taken away? No, DCFS is very good with discovering the truth from a from a child. Discovering, some, for instance, you have cases where the one child is with the mother, and the mother is strict. The mother does not let the child play video games. Child has to do the homework, can't go past nine o'clock. That same child, maybe the child is 14 or 15, he, he or she wants to move to father because father allows everything, right? They allow video games. You can stay as late as midnight. You can do everything. They will discover this, right? They will, they will know why the child is, believe me, children are not great liars and from everything that i see in the in my experience is that you don't usually end up in a system for a child being a brat because the dcfs will know what is going on they will know they will they will investigate the father they will say well what do you allow they will also question the child in a way where it's not subjective questioning it's not a closed-ended question and they will find out the truth. But also, if you're a child and you're 14 years old, you a lot of them do end up in a system because of that. They really don't want to be with the, with the mother. They really want to be with the father and sometimes do end up in a system. And they will, instead of setting a goal, we, we previously talked about setting a goal as reunion, reuniting the family, reuniting the child with the mother, mother the goal will be set to dependence. So if they cross a certain age, the judge will not, or the court will not seek that the child is adjudicated and neglected, but the child be placed, not neglected, but that the child be placed on a course of dependence. What is meaning that? that? The course of dependence is just meaning that the child is can make right now the decisions of its own, where to go to school and who to be with and where to stay. So, so can I can I stop you there? Because in my case, it's a divorce and custody case. People always say, well, at what age does the child get to choose? And I usually say, there's not an age where they get to choose. We're always talking about their best interest. And if a teenager is allowed to choose, they'll go with the easiest possible, most lax parenting, you know, and the one where they're allowed to bring their girlfriend home, you know, age 15, hey, they can bring a girl to the house or something like that. Or worse yet, you know, other things, you know, they're allowed to drink or something. You know, just they like that lax parenting and they go for that. But that doesn't drive a decision by the court. It's not always what the child wants. On the other hand, and I'm sure you've had this experience, Margie and Barry, if a teenager doesn't want to be with a parent, if they're convinced life would be better with the other parent, they can just cause hell, just, just raise hell and be completely ungovernable. I mean, they can do anything it takes to get to these, I can't handle it, you know, and then they go to the other parent, right? They'll, they'll make trouble. And you've seen that, right? Oh, yes, I've seen it. And they will make the trouble for a good, honest parent who's trying the best with this child. And the parent's going to say, I, I give up. I'm throwing my hands in the air. I can't deal with this anymore. I don't want to be adjudged, adjudicated, neglected parent but i can't have this child I would, in I, my house i was part of a case where father in this case was battling the other family members 
and they would get on a video call with the with this girl in the morning as she's getting ready for school and the father was very education oriented got to get to school let's go meanwhile they're on a video call having her hold up different items of clothing and you know kind of fashion show how about this and, you know definitely spreading you know like they extended the call they knew that would aggravate the father and it did <laughs> i mean it got to be where he he broke the laptop that that didn't go well and ended up losing the child because it was like well he's abusive well no they pushed him to his limit two years of steady interference i wish i'd met him earlier but parent the, the child got to, to feel like they could just misbehave enough they would get into the arms of the other family members and it worked so they got to be careful about that so Igor, you mentioned putting the child on a course of dependence. I am not really familiar with that term. And like, let's say, for example, we have a, a 15 or 16 year old child order orders to live with mom, but keeps running away from mom's house or keeps defying mom, ends up in juvenile court as a result of, you know, making complaints. What would a course of dependence look like in that situation? So the child would be monitored by DCFS and usually one or two things happen. Either a minor ends up in some kind of a criminal trouble and get, gets to become a part of a juvenile delinquency court, which is a juvenile criminal court, or the child actually listens to the DCFS and really does want to become independent. And DCFS would create a program from the child how to become an, how to become dependent one is the child will have to have a job or the child will have to have a consistent employment find a way to house himself or herself let's see if the child wants to live with the other parent and the other parent is okay with that then dcfs can say you know what mother you can't I, we understand you can't help the situation. It is what it is. It's really not your fault here, but I think in the best interest is for this child to be with the father. Just because this child might end up on the streets and might do something hurtful to the mother, to the home, and things like that. Really not, not really the fault of the mother, but he's 15. I believe he can make this point decisions for himself, herself. If he wants to be with the father, so be it. When you mentioned that getting a job and everything, they can't get a job before age 16 usually. I mean, so it's probably 16 or older you're talking about, right? They will be 16 and older. With 15, they can get they can get certain training, how's the school going and things like that, right? They will, they will evaluate this kid's decision-making. That's the big, bigger picture. How... How good is this child at making their own decisions? Wait, that's even if the mother or father says, I want my child with me. And then the child says, in a sense, I'm going to make it impossible for you to stand me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be so obnoxious that you won't want me, in a sense, right? Well, yeah, I, I think we're getting more into the family court arena right now. Because if the, if the father is not abusive and neglected, then it's more of a family issue where the DCFS gets involved just to monitor the situation. But if the child, you know, if the father is adjudicated, neglects, you know, if the, if the father 
had services to complete, didn't complete, that it will never go to the father. And the child can't stay with the mother. So where's the child going to go? Child is 14 right now, right? So there's no orphanages, right? And so then they maybe go to foster family? They can go to foster family. They can go to shelters. There are, I believe, shelters for, for children. They can go to the grandparents, anybody who who the child gets along with and the child can stay with, right? But the goal would be dependence. The goal would be to for DCFS to create a program that this child has to do in order to become dependent yep. the child. Now, you mentioned real quickly about services. And I've heard of services. Can you list off what those might be? Anger management, for example, is a service, right? Putting them so in for anger management. What else? So let's take, for example, that case that I already said, the most common cases. Child says, I can't live at my house anymore. My mother's boyfriend drinks all the time. There's yelling and screaming, throwing things. I'm sad. They're sad. There's just a lot of domestic violence going on in the house. And the child is, let's say, eight years old. Those are the most common cases in this court. So the state attorney office will petition the court, meaning the state attorney office will ask the court to take temporary custody of this child. And they will bring both parents there, or if one parent, if there's one parent, just one parent, and the court will say, okay, parent, do you agree that for us to take this shelter, this child in shelter care with DCFS until the trial starts? Or do you, do you want to dispute this right now? Which is not a high standard. Not many shelter cares are disputed once you have. Usually, usually the parent says, okay, fine, take Bobby for now. We'll figure it out later. Well, usually the attorney for the parent will be there. All the parents will have the attorney. The child will have their own attorney card, guardian ad litem. The state will have the attorney. DCFS may have the attorney in there. So the attorney will assess the case. And based on that attorney's experience, it will say, hey, mother, this is not the fight you want right now. You don't want this to be her right now. So the mother will either, or father, the parent, will either say, you know what? I agree with you. You know better. Let's do it that way. So the child gets taken temporarily, placed with either another family or a close family member if there is one. In between all of this, the DCFS is pre preparing this big packet of services that you have to do. So in this packet, it's going to list usually at least four things. Number one is parenting classes. Keep in mind, we're talking about domestic violence where there's kicking, screaming, alcohol involved. The boyfriend is drinking. Boyfriend will not be part of this court. Boyfriend doesn't matter. It matters what you, the mom, are doing to protect this child from that boyfriend. So DCFS will make sure that you are not drinking. DCFS will make sure that you are going through, through domestic violence classes. DCFS will make sure that you are taking parenting classes. DCFS will test you for drug, for alcohol, even if it's legal marijuana. So don't go into court saying, well, I have a medical card. It doesn't do anything for you. <laughs> marijuana, medical card. Maybe something changed since I was there last time. But when I was there, the judge will not care about your medical marijuana card. 
no marijuana, no alcohol, no illegal drugs unless you have a prescription. And medical marijuana did not count as, the car did not count as prescription. So you will have to complete everything, uh, not at once. They will give you, give you things to do because they only have limited amount of resources. It's going to take time. It's going to take, you won't be able to get into these programs right away. So you will start with, let's say, parenting classes right away. You mean, in my, in my understanding then, if my child Bobby is taken away, I could be six months before I get my child back because services take so long to complete? It could be a year because services take so long to complete. Igor, one thing I like just now, you mentioned a typical case, you know, maybe an eight-year-old is witness to arguing, and fighting and throwing things and they're drinking and maybe other drug use. And, but what I, what I like is that you're, you're, you're saying there's a system in place to protect these kids. And what I understand that what you said was the way they come to the attention of the authorities is that maybe the child opens up to a teacher or the school social worker. And I mean, the child could look really down or, or the clothes look a little disheveled. They're coming from a disorganized house where they're not getting their clothes washed. And then someone says, is everything okay? And then the child just unloads, right? And then talks about everything that's in, right? And you mentioned about the, you know, what happened when a child is older and doesn't want to go back to the mom or whatever, or the dad. And there's a, you know, there's a system in place for maybe allowing them to sort of transition out. You want to be independent? Fine. You're going to have to do certain things, right? If you're 16, get a job, whatever. And then you also mentioned that if, there's a, if, for example, the child is wants out of mom's house, maybe mom's a homework mom, education mom, strict, doesn't let him go after after nine o'clock, and dad's like, hey, let's live it up, you know, party town, you know, they if the child can go to that other parent and the parent is not seen as neglectful, maybe they're a little looser, but if they're not neglectful, they'll just simply switch. The child can just go over to dad, right? That's correct. Yeah, and I had a case like that, a little boy where in this is a divorce court you know like custody court years ago where mom was doing a great job i thought because i you know i'm her attorney i think she's doing a great job but raising this little boy and the gal in the case the dad argued that he should have the child full-time why because he's more stable he's lived at the same address for years and mom had moved around and seemingly more unstable and unfortunately the gal agreed with dad's side and said yeah, I think maybe dad should have majority time and everything. And we made the difficult decision. My client and I talked and talked and we said, okay, let's not fight it. Let's let little boy go with dad. We'll see how the school year goes. And back came the reports. His backpack smelled like cat urine. His clothes are disheveled. He was just, you know, not getting his homework done. And at the end of the school year, the jail, we got the child back. The mom got the child back, but he, she let it happen. The child, you know, was ready to go to dad. Dad was stable because he lived pretty much on a mattress in his parents' basement, but he'd not moved for years. <laughs> but anyway, it, it, our gamble was to let dad give it a go. So in these cases, it might be that same thing, right? Where fine, this, this 15 year old thinks he's going to live with dad, but he's going to find out that the fridge is not full of food, that his clothes are not washed for him, that, you know, <laughs> right? And all of a sudden, you know, it's not the paradise he thought it would be. Cor correct. Yeah. And it, it, just like the family court, to go back to Barry's question, 
question about the intersection between the family courts and juvenile courts is that they become courts of custody. Who is going to have custody? Except in family courts, it's either parent, mother, or the father who will have the custody. Here is, is it DCFS? Is it one parent? Is it the other parent? Or are we going to give temporary custody to a grandma or unrelated person who can take care of the situation before we can reunite the mother? And to reunite the mother or the father with the child, either or has to complete services. And if they're together still, mother and the father, both of them have to complete services. So now you, that's- You mentioned that the boyfriend may live with mom and he may be part of the problem, the yelling, screaming, drinking, everything, but they completely leave him alone? Yes, the boyfriend, keep in mind, it's, it's not about the mother or father. They're adjudicating the child as neglected. So- or abused so it's not but the boyfriend since it's unrelated not married unrelated party doesn't really matter in the system he's not gonna be part of the court the boyfriend can show the dcfs that he's gone through all these programs and services and things like that they can get married right or he can do it on his own but the mother has to either take out the order of protection kick the boyfriend out for the time being, while well, she's doing her services. And DCFS will know if the boyfriend is not. So a lot of, lot of parents come and say, well, he's not, no, he's no longer in the picture. Nothing really happened. You know, I kicked him out. This is you. And then they discover shoes in the closet. Because keep in mind, you're supposed to report who's in the house now. Now you're in the system. You, you agreed for shelter care. You, you, you agreed to certain things, such as to report to DCFS, whoever is in the house. DCFS will do the background checks of the people who are in the house. Do they have criminal history? Do they have substance abuse problems? Things like that. So now you have somebody else's shoes here. You're a female, size 8. There's a male shoe in there, size 12. Who is this person? There's three pairs of shoes and extra large hoodie. You haven't reported to be this person, right? So DCFS will know if you're telling them the truth or not. They, it's, it's very hard. They can also come unannounced. They will come knocking on the door and you better open the door. So that's, that's another part of the agreement between you and the DCFS right now is that you will, there, there will be an unannounced visits to your home, you know, are there liquor bottles? What's happening in the side house? So you are right now under the full control of DCFS supervision. You better be on the best behavior. So, okay. I have a question. I don't know if maybe, maybe you can answer it, maybe you can't. But I think that, you know, we are talking about sort of a giant funnel, right? Like there's like every report that's ever made to DCFS gets funneled down to what DCFS thinks is credible but then I'm wondering, is it a funnel that goes into two completely different buckets somehow? Because like, how do you end up in juvenile court versus domestic relations court? Like, what I'm getting a sense of is that like, maybe there's a subgroup of cases that DCFS knows either the parents are already in domestic relations court or DCFS knows that 
you know, there's a prior custody proceeding and one of the parties says, oh, I'm going to file a motion in court to try to take the child, you know, but how, if you know, how does DCFS decide, you know, which group of children to refer into the juvenile court process versus letting the family court process go on even with a background DCFS investigation? So the ones that end up in juvenile court are the ones that every child that is abused or neglected will go into the juvenile court unless the DCFS believes they have certain amount of DCFS discretion, just like the police departments have discretion to say, well, you know what, I'll let, I'll let you slide with this, you know, just a warning. DCFS can do that in, in cases, let's say my mother did this one time. She pushed me by my hair and took out, you know, a couple of locks of hair. Never happened before. This is, this is the only first time. And the doctor reports it or whoever reports it to DCFS. DCFS comes, finds mother to be credible. The child is also there being credible and stating how it really happened. And DCFS just says, you know what? This is just a warning. Let me tell you how you should take this situation if it happens next time, if the child frustrates you or something like that. So they will... They will not bring that into the system. They will just say, okay, you're going to be on supervision for a certain amount of times. Just do parenting classes. We're not going to make it part of the court. We're not going to make this part of your history uh, in the court because it, it is a big history. It is, like I said, <clears throat> state has this history. Police departments have this history. Hospitals have this history. So they will not bring just those cases. Or the mother has already filed an order of protection against the abusive person in a household and that person is no longer allowed to be there or she has filed a divorce and seeking custody. So if that, so let's say the child was neglected inside the family household as a whole, with, but the mother is doing something before DCFS even got involved, before DCFS had to, or DCFS says, get an order of protection. You better go get an order of protection, right? Those are not the cases that DCFS will send to the state attorney's office for pro for petitioning of neglect. So those do get funneled out where the parent is actually protective and doing what they what they're supposed to be doing. It took them maybe a week before they did it, but they did it in time to to to, to stop the bleeding or to stop the stop this further neglect. So, but there's another funnel, right? Let's, after shelter care, which is that first hearing that you will have in juvenile court, it's called a shelter care, temporary custody, usually goes to DCFS. Then there is the trial called adjudication. Usually, the child will be adjudicated, neglected, if they have enough of, you know, police reports, enough uh, statements from the child, things like that, right? So, usually courts will say, okay, now you're adjudicated, neglected. You were with, let's... I'll pick on I'll pick on mothers at this time. You were with the mother, you were neglected, but there's a father who's in state of Wisconsin. He's perfectly normal. He does he has a wife who or wife or a husband or whatever it is, who's perfectly normal. He has two other kids, stepsisters or stepbrothers to this child that is adjudicated and neglected. DCFS can say, we will send 
mother, we will send your child to the father. It's called the disposition. How is this case disposed of? How, what is the, it's like a sentencing in a criminal court. How is this case disposed of? Well, it can be disposed of one or two ways. Mother retains the child, does the services. The child goes to a father who is normal, perfectly normal. There's no, nothing going on in that home. Or the child goes into a foster home, whether with grandma, a relative, or non-related party. So those are the three ways you can dispose of the case. No matter the disposition for this mother who is, whose child is found to be neglected on her watch, she still has to do the services in order to see this child again. So, and services can take six months to a year to complete. You're saying before the services are complete, she might not have any parent, any parenting time at all. Oh, no. She will have at least a minimum of three hours usually of parenting time per week. Under supervision with somebody in the room. Under supervision, whether it's supervised by the other parent if they get along or DCFS or somebody else. But yes, until she goes. And then the more she completes services, the more time she will get. And so after the disposition, the way the case is disposed of, every six months you will have a hearing until the judge says, okay, you did everything you need to do. Your child is can go back to you if the child still wants. But before that, the child has to have reuniting, sort of a reuniting classes and services to do, right? Think about if the child is three years old, for instance. You can't have right away the child. But now the child is used to the foster parent or the other parent. You can't just give this child back to the mother right away. You have to start with supervised three hours, supervised 10 hours, unsupervised overnights, right? Same as in a family court. You can't just shove the child onto another parent if they're not used to that environment. All right, we just have a few minutes left. If you had to tell parents, Igor, something that they need to know. These are people who are not lawyers, who are learning about this system that can get in your house unannounced, that can come and take your children, that can keep your children from you. Even if you're, you could be a good parent, but once you get started in the system, you're going to have to prove that you're a good parent, right? And if, is there anything you could tell parents who might be made nervous after they listen to this episode? Now they're pretty jumpy. Is there any happy news or reassurance you can give to our listeners so they're not going to have too much stress coming out of this episode? Oh, uh, yes. Most of your relationship in this system will be, will be with the DCFS or the social worker that you are assigned or that is assigned to you. So the most important thing is respect, respect, respect. They are underpaid. They, just like you, wants to do whatever is the best interest of that child. You have a different opinion, I understand, but respect, 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 because if you don't give them the respect, you might not have the best report in court. And what the judges look at is DCFS reports, primarily because they are the eyes of the court. And like I said, they're humans, they want respect. They're also humans, they make mistakes. So another second thing you need to remember is document, 
document and document everything. Phone calls to the DCFS, then you return the calls, record your voicemails, of course, with everybody's permission, and record the visits with everybody's permission. So document, document, and document. You just every said step record, record the visits. Are you saying leave your phone on the recorder and, and record what you say during visits? There's nothing wrong in recording and documenting everything. There's nothing illegal about it. If the other person has permission and given you the permission, you say, hey, I, I understand that you're doing your best, Mr. Social Worker. But do you mind if I just record this just so we have proof in court that, you know, I was here. I did what you asked me for. This is my home. This is how it looks like. There's nothing in there. Because guess what? The DCFS worker has 30 other cases. Sometimes it's a copy and paste error. Then in 20 days, that DCFS social worker would actually think it's you, but it really wasn't, right? Please don't use that as an excuse because you can't use that as an excuse unless you document, document, and document. <laughs> well, my own, my own experience, then there were some minors that were, they had a petition called the MRAI, Minors Requiring Authoritative Intervention, and where the you have a perennial runaway. So the child would run away, be brought back, run away, be brought back. And so a lot of time there, there was emphasis in those cases on not so much the parents' actions, but on usually a teenager, a teenager that just would not abide by the rules and the instructions. And so, Igor, was this normally laid at the parents' feet, or are you familiar with the MREI petitions? Actually, I just can't remember right now what we did with, with those, because there are children who just run away. There's really nothing the parent can do. They're neither neglected nor abused. It's just they're uncontrollable. Yeah. I, it's been a while, forgive me, it's been seven or eight years, so I can't really remember what we did, but there was there was an avenue to deal with those children. Most of those children end up in juvenile delinquency courts. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's where the juvenile delinquency court will just have a warrant after a warrant for the arrest, after a warrant for the arrest. That's usually how they end up if the child is out on the streets. Because Yeah, that was my experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because guess what? There's a DCFS warrant for the, the, they can they can do called, what's called the DCFS warrant and get this child back into the court. And they can have that child picked up and locked up. Is that right? Correct. Yes. If the DCFS doesn't know where the child is, they will issue the warrant, and the child will usually be found. Whether it's state of Arkansas or whatever it is, they will be extradited and brought back to the state of Illinois or. They will be arrested and brought back to the juvenile detention center. And the only difference is now they're they're under eighteen. They're in the juvenile system, but they cross the line. Well, they cross the line when they when they commit certain offenses, right? There are, there are people tried as adults who are under eighteen if they're really serious offenses, right? But you, so Kevin, Kevin, to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, it, it seems like I remember a case, and it goes back many many more years, <laughs> perhaps in the beginning of my career, but a, a child who would, for example, break into a car to have a place to sleep and but would not go back home, just would stay out in the street. And of course, the breaking into the car was a criminal offense. And so the child got into the system that way. Igor, you mentioned that everybody in the juvenile court process would have an attorney and that there would be a GAL and 
somebody for DCFS and obviously the prosecutors in juvenile court, if you're a parent and you don't have enough money for a private attorney, are you entitled to a public defender or how does that work? So in a juvenile court, if you don't have an attorney, there's only so many public defenders to go around because keep in mind that right now you have state's attorney, you have public defender for the father, you have a public defender for the mother, you have a public for you have a public defender for second father or the third father. <laughs> well, yes, because you're only presumed to be a father until, you know, there's there's two people sometimes claiming to be the fathers. Or so you have a lot of lot of parties that need an attorney, and everybody must have an attorney. You cannot be self-represented in that courtroom. So if there's no more public defenders, you will be assigned a attorney from a private practice who has signed up to handle those cases. But you will have an attorney, that's for sure. It might not be free, is that right? It is free, completely free. Oh, parents' attorneys are always free? Yep. Oh. Yes, they you are. are. You're bringing some good news here. That's <laughs> Thank you, Igor, for being with us today. From what you've said, it's important to keep your behavior as a parent within certain limits, within certain bounds. If you are the person who believes that you have to yell it out, you have to have it out together, you're going to scream and fight, and argue, I mean, scream and argue, don't have it in front of your child, for starters, right? Would you agree? Yes, that's correct. Keep the child out of, out of it. And now, this is devious, but in my cases involving two parents who were kind of at war over a child, the technology exists, and everybody's got smartphones. Technology exists to record those arguments and to record screaming and to cut off the reason. And I had a case, talk a war, war story a few years ago, where the teenagers recorded dad yelling at them. But what they didn't include in the recording was the screaming the teenagers did. So it was scream, scream, scream to dad. Then dad opened up and the recording started. I can't believe you kids that are collecting. And he sounded like a monster. He was yelling at them. And then to add further theatrics, one of them sobbed a little bit on the recording. <laughs> you know, which from what I could tell was totally put up. And mom took that recording and got an order of protection against the guy. And he didn't see his, his teenager for another two years. So that recording convinced the judge that he was such a monster, he should not be around his kids. So if you're thinking, well, I'll just argue nobody's here and it's just like the technology sometimes exists that you might find yourself reported and the recording being played back to the wrong, to a judge. Well, Igor, we're very happy you could join us today. And I'm sorry for that old creaky office chair we gave you and the water dripping from the ceiling this basement we just have to have people in to fix it i mean sorry for the, the bad studio here but we're happy you could come and join us and we'll try to find your car in the snow after this we'll go out and try to chip it out of the snow anyway thank you very much for being here i'm attorney barry boykin i'm attorney kevin johnson i'm attorney margie nielsen and i'm attorney your thank you very much for being here and we'll see you in our next episode 